This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Research. Knowledge sharing on financial research. Amundi's teams have been studying the evolution of ESG investing across asset classes and geographies in recent years. In the first episode of our Blue Research podcast series, Thierry Roncalli, the head of quantitative research, explained that ESG, that's environment, social, governance, is becoming financially interesting, meaning that it is a source of outperformance in equity. He observed there is a growing transatlantic divide between Europe and North America. Finally, while the E and G pillars had been outperforming from 2014, the S pillar caught up from 2016 onwards. And since the beginning of the coronavirus crisis and the subsequent global lockdown, we have seen a lot of market turmoil putting corporate sustainability under tremendous pressure. Well, in this context, we have also seen discussions around a possible reinforcement of the materiality of ESG criteria on corporate resilience. This would have a huge impact on potential relative investor preferences. Well, today I'm joined by Marie Brière, who is the head of Investor Research Centre, and also Takaya Sekine, who is the deputy head of quantitative research, to assess the impact of the COVID-19 crisis on investor behaviour towards ESG funds. Marie, let me start with you. It seems that pandemic has been a neglected market risk. Could you explain why that is? Yes, Tom, it's a very interesting question. So epidemics are not new in recent history. We had the SARS in 2002-ish on N1, Ebola and MERS in 2019. But also pandemic risk has been already identified in, in a couple of prospective studies. For example, the work of the national security agencies of large Western countries. It was relatively neglected. For example, it was not in the list of the 10 most probable risks cited by the World Economic Forum in their global risk report in 2020. Respondents to the survey cited climate risk followed by cyber risk as top concerns. But on February 23rd, when Italy announced the Lombardy lockdown, and then on March 11th, when the World Health Organization classified COVID-19 as a pandemic, equity markets across all financial centers have plunged. And the magnitude of the reaction is related to the severity of the economic shock, but also the fact that financial markets have been taken by surprise. And businesses have been affected unevenly. Which firms or sectors do you think have been most impacted by the crisis? Yeah, I think it's very important to recall that what is special about this crisis is the rapid and massive political measures that were taken by most countries that had huge macroeconomic impact. On the one hand, we had containment measures, national and international traveling restrictions, border closures, and that reduced household spending and firms' production capacity, causing labor shortages and disrupting production change. On the other hand, we had supportive measures by the same governments, helping maintaining wages and firms' access to credit, and that helped avoiding cascading bankruptcies and thus reduce the severity of the crisis. 
The consequence of that is that at the corporate level, the crisis impact has been very different, both across and within sectors. Across sectors, pharmaceutical, telecom, food and staples, retailers did relatively well, while energy, consumer services, consumer durables and real estate firms suffered particularly. If you look within sectors, in the initial phase of the crisis, so before February 20, companies whose businesses was more exposed to China and to international trade were particularly affected. And after the beginning of the outbreak in Europe, especially the announcement of the first containment measures in Italy on February 23rd, investors started to discriminate between companies on the basis of their levels of debt and cash holdings. And also, interestingly, companies that have been exposed to previous epidemics were considered less vulnerable by financial analysts. It seems that there was a strong appetite for ESG during the crisis. Do you confirm that that was the case? And also, could you explain why that is? Yes, that's a very interesting and, and important question. So before, if you look before the pandemic crisis, corporate social responsibility had already become a major investment criterion, significantly influencing the valuation of financial assets on both the equity and debt market. Over the last few years, for example, companies with better extra financial performances saw their price increase more than their competitors. And this phenomenon was probably due mainly to demand from investors meaning investors increasingly integrating these issues into their investment decisions. During the pandemic crisis, a similar outperformance was observable. For example, if you look at the MSCI World Index, it dropped by 14% in March, but 62% of large-cap ESG funds outperformed the index. And this outperformance was partly due to ESG funds' exposures to sectors less, expected, less impacted by containment and social distancing measures, such as tech and telecom. But not only. Investment flows into ESG funds were also much more resilient during the crisis. We analyzed investment flows in approximately 1,600 ETFs listed on the U.S. market, including ESG funds and funds specialized in environmental issues such as low carbon, water, clean energy, etc. What's particularly interesting to notice is that the cumulative flows in ESG ETFs have continued to increase throughout the crisis period, while we could observe massive sales of traditional equity ETFs, even for ETFs specialized in sectors with little exposure to the pandemic, such as the tech sector, for example. So this resilience of ESG funds during the COVID crisis is not something completely new. If you look at the subprime crisis, we witnessed a comparable phenomenon, but on a much smaller scale. So what, one interesting question is why? What, why is this resilience of ESG funds flow? I think we can identify several possible reasons for this resilience. First, it's possible that investors perceived ESG as pandemic proof. By construction, ESG funds tend to overweight sectors that have weathered the crisis better, such as healthcare and tech, and they underweight more impacted sectors, such as transport, energy and material. But another reason may come from a segregation of the two markets. Investors with shorter horizons and higher liquidity needs could position themselves on traditional equity ETFs, 
which have larger traded volumes and higher liquidity, explaining a massive disinvestment from these funds during the crisis, while on the other hand, investors with longer horizons could remain invested in ESG funds. But finally, there is a third reason that could explain that phenomenon. It's possible that investors have shown greater loyalty to their ESG investments. Academic research has already shown that flows into ESG mutual funds are less sensitive to negative returns. It could be that investors derive positive utility from the, from the simple act of investing responsibly that compensates the disutility associated with negative performance and leads them to keep their investment during crisis. And do you think this is a trend that's likely to persist? So that, that's a great but difficult question. So I think it's difficult to predict today if ESG issues will continue to be a priority for investors in the coming months, given the major economic and financial problems that many firms are going to face in the short term. But, but our analysis suggests that investors' taste for ESG has not decreased during the crisis. It's quite the opposite. Another thing is that the COVID-19 crisis has sent social considerations back to the forefront of the ESG. Companies' decisions affecting workers, in particular the health and social protection of employees, telework and employment policies, etc., have become increasingly important. But last, we, we should not forget that companies' environmental and climate action could also be better valued by market participants. I think it's becoming difficult to argue today that investors do not have to worry about the environmental externalities that are generated by companies. One of the key takeaways of the COVID-19 episode is I think that natural disasters can happen suddenly and unexpectedly and, and that we are more vulnerable than we could imagine. And turning to you now, Takaya, from a quantitative point of view, including ESG, how would you describe the Q1 COVID-19 market environment? Thank you, Tom. The big story in the outbreak of COVID-19 has been the dislocation within the traditional factors. We saw a positive return for quality and a very negative return for valuation. I'm referring here to the well-known value factor. As we can expect, in a market turmoil with uncertainties on the future, we also saw a high dispersion in the returns of sectors. In this context, EAG was relatively stable, mainly because Amundi's EAG scores are built with a sector-neutral approach, while traditional factors are not. But what I mean is that by construction, our EAG scores are immune to the sector dispersion. Looking closer within the pillars of ESG, results were also more heterogeneous. We see differences in return with a strong outperformance of the social pillar in North America. Is this in line with your expectations? And when you say S, it is influenced by the strong flight to quality? Well, Tom, this outcome is very new. We had identified in our previous research that S was a laggard and that it was catching up. What I mean here is that the social pillar's performance started to emerge only after 2016, while environmental and governance picked up roughly after 2013 and 2014. However, during the first quarter of 2020, social was very, very flat, 
in the Eurozone and quite positive in North America. It is therefore a new development within what we have called the transatlantic divide. In addition, when we look at the daily return data, we can identify that the social pillars return in North America reacted directly to the increase in the investors' risk aversion during this pandemic. To put it simpler, the more investors were scared, the more S in North America performed. One was the consequence of the other during that period. And here, the interesting point is that the rise in risk aversion in this turmoil was global. Therefore, if we were still in a pure S social story, we would have expected a spike in the return of social in the Eurozone as well. As for the relation between the return of the social pillar and the flight to quality, we do identify a higher than usual influence by the quality-related factors, but that remains in a low range, I would say about 10% of returns explained, so it's very reasonable. Therefore, we can say here that this investor choice is a real choice to go on social on top of traditional flight to quality. And how do you explain this investor's choice to go on social? Um, to explain this, investors have been forward-looking. The general economic context is, as always, very important. If you remember, uh, let me make a small flashback, the probability of recession given by the New York Fed increased by the middle of 2019 and reached some key thresholds. It made the headlines because these levels in the past had predicted a recession in the next year. So we can say that we were in a somehow weaker part of the cycle. As the pandemic spread, investors in the Eurozone have looked first at how public policies would innovate to support employment conditions. If you ask whose burden it is to keep the economy going, the welfare state, quote-unquote for welfare, is your first answer. In North America, and I would say mainly in the US, things are quite different. The social component of ESG helps investors to better understand the capacity of corporates to reverse the crisis and, for example, to maintain workforce. As you can expect, the workforce will be instrumental in the rebound. In this case, investors were interested in corporates which stood up and said that they were willing and able to take up the mantle. And how will these recent results direct your future research? Tom, one of the key results of our recent research was the fact that the overall ESG's financial materiality has become more forward-looking rather than just static. For example, Amundi is innovating with an ESG improvers concept. We have a stream of research on climate risk with a series of papers bringing more flavor to the simple and widely used carbon intensity as a main measure of climate risk. What is interesting here is that climate modeling has been using socio-economic scenarios. Tom, just to tease you here, but one of the five main so-called shared socio-economic pathways used by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change 
to have sounded more realistic recently. There is an inequality scenario and a regional rivalry scenario. These are qualitative narratives, but they do sound closer to home today. We will be opening the box on these scenarios. So S was already an increasingly important factor in the US ESG universe. For investors, the current crisis has put S into the limelight, but that is possibly just the tip of the iceberg. The coming crisis will have a strong social dimension. It is already the case with 30 plus percent of unemployment in the US. It makes sense for investors to continue to research the autonomous dynamics of the social pillar of ESG. So we will do that. Okay, and just lastly, Marie, on your side, how has this impacted the direction of your future research? Yes, thank you for this question. Recently, we had two important issues on our research agenda. First, we looked at how institutional investors could incentivize firms to reduce their environmental and social externalities by actively voting at corporate general meetings. And second, we also looked at how individual investors reacted to the offering of the SG products. So how will that change? I think at this turning point, one very important aspect will be to better understand investors' preferences for ESG. And it's also a key point on European Commission's agenda. So we plan to examine which dimensions of ESG are favored by investors and how do these preferences translate into investment behavior and portfolio choices. Okay, well, that's all we have time for. Thank you very much indeed to you, uh, Marie Briere, the head of Investor Research Centre, and also to Takaya Sekine, the deputy head of Quantitative Research. And thank you to you for joining us for this Blue Research podcast. I do hope you'll join us again very soon. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.